Right. Does science explain everything? That's the key question. Uh, why is it that some ideas in a society change so quickly? As uh, talking to a, a teacher in a local secondary school, and he was saying that he does a survey at the beginning of each year to ask you know, where his students stand. And he says, you know, any of you Christians? And one or two hands go up. Any Muslims? A few more. Any atheists? And he says, most of the class put their hand up. Now, how is it that these ideas, these faiths, and atheism is certainly a faith, uh, have spread so rapidly? What's going on in our society? Well, we're going to look at some of these tensions that have been going on. Uh, in the uh, 6th century BC, Pythagoras, do you remember Pythagoras and all his triangles? Uh, he, um, he reckoned that the earth had to be circular. And you can guess the reasons. He, he saw the shadow of the sun on the moon, circular. Uh, he, he saw a lot of the, the data. Then... Along came Aristotle, he was in the 4th century BC, and he decided not only that the earth had to be circular, but he decided to measure it. These guys were brilliant. You know what he did? He sent some people down the Nile in a vertical plane, stuck a pole a meter in the air, and said, measure the distance. And from the length of the shadow, he was able to calculate the diameter of the Earth. And he got it to within 1% of what we now know. Uh, the problem came when people started to uh, get to read the Bible. Because there's a man called Cosmas, who is a, a brilliant man. He... Uh, wrote a book uh, called Christian Topography, which included some of the first maps of the Middle East. Remarkable man. But he, he was a monk and a very committed Christian, but he took the Bible literally. The words very literally. And uh, he said, it can't be that the earth is circular. It has to be a flat earth. And actually, he despised people who, who followed sort of Ptolemaic ideas uh, and he calling them two-faced, tainted with worldly wisdom because they didn't follow scripture. And he quoted the Bible. Uh, if you, you look up I, I, Isaiah eleven twelve. There it comes, very clearly. And gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Well, four corners have got to be four corners, because that's what it says. Therefore, the earth has to be flat. Therefore, uh, Pythagoras, Aristotle, all these guys, they're wrong. And they're heathen anyway, so they're, they're certainly wrong. That was his, his argument. Uh, the, uh, well, let's just see. I mean, 
obviously you could understand the four corners of the earth being the four directions of the earth, north, south, east and west. But he didn't think like that. He thought very literally. Now, what I want you to do is to look at Psalm 19 on your tables and have a look there at the what David, it's written by David, what he says about how we gain knowledge. How does God inform people about himself and his world? Okay, you've just got a couple of minutes just to scan through it and to decide how, how God speaks. Remember, David lived uh, about 1,000 B.C. Very perceptive. Have to read fast. Give you a clue. I think the psalm has got three sections, not just two. Two is easy. When you think you've got it sussed, look up and we'll continue. You can help others on your table if you want. So have you all got it? What's the first section about? How does God speak to us? Through creation. Absolutely. The, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. Everything about this world that we can see says something about God. I don't know if you've ever um, seen a newborn baby, or some of you will have done, but it, it is an incredible miracle how that happens. I remember the first time I saw a chest being opened as an operation and the heart beating. It was just mesmerizing. How on earth can that form without a designer? But it goes on. The second bit, what's the second section? How God speaks to us. Verse 6. The word of God. It's, it is very strongly taught in the Bible. And if you've never done a study on it, to go through and see how God speaks through his word. It starts in Genesis 1. He created the world through his word. And right the way through uh, his word, the law of the Lord is perfect. So there should be no conflict between good science and good Bible understanding. But hold on a minute. What does the Bible talk about if you're going to war? It seems to talk about bows and arrows and spears. There's no dynamite, no bombs, no artillery. Is it really timeless? No computers? So how do we understand this? If the word of God 
is timeless. And yet it's limited to its own perspective when it was written. Now this is very important. Has everyone got this sussed? How, how the two come together. Because scripture is written by men in their own situation. So everything they talk about, their understanding of warfare or whatever, is going to be contemporary. God hasn't uh, written a, a book that's, uh, that's timeless as far as science goes, as far as the world goes. If, if people have that opinion, they have real problems uh, with, with Scripture. I don't know if you heard on the interview this morning, this uh, Muslim doctor who interviewed me, she was saying that this is a major problem they have in Islam too. That some people try and put the, the words and the, the thinking of 8th century Middle East into modern life and it doesn't fit and so you've got this tension going on and we Christians have got to be very clear how we read and understand scripture the uh, look, look at the um, down here um, verses 12 and 13 there is a third section how God speaks to us did anyone get this Yes, there's something internal. So God speaks through nature, through his world science. He speaks through his word and he speaks through his conscience, our consciences. And our, our guilt is, is a very real way that God speaks to us. There is a subjective reality. The problem is people don't know the facts. Why did people reject Jesus? Why did the religious authorities reject Jesus? What were the sort of arguments they, they said about him? Like they thought, well, where did they think he, he came from? Anyone? Where did Jesus, where did the Pharisees think Jesus came from? From Galilee. Absolutely. And <laughs> does anything come out of Galilee? And Galilee is the, now I must watch what I say here, um, the east end of London. <laughs> you can, yeah, it really was the, the poor area. Nothing came out of Galilee. But why have they got that wrong? The two things they got wrong. They didn't know. <laughs> Where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. And they hadn't clicked on that he was born in Bethlehem. They didn't know the facts. And something else. Some of you who've been to Christmas services, what do you know about Galilee in the Old Testament? Zanta, are you an expert on Galilee in the Old Testament? <laughs> Isaiah 9, verse 1. Remember, it's read every, every, every Sunday. Um, in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. That wonderful section. And it goes on to say who this son's going to be, who's come from there. They didn't know this. It's, it's always 
the conflicts come because there's a limited understanding either of what God is saying scripture is here to teach us about ourselves and about God and our relationship with God that's what scripture's for you read 2 Timothy 3:16 all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for And righteousness. This is what the scriptures are for. They're not there to teach us how computers work. We've really got to get this very clear because it's causing tensions in our universities. People think that the scriptures aren't relevant anymore. When it's the very opposite, people desperately need the scriptures. I was on a walk this afternoon with my dog and I, I bumped into a man uh, up on the greenway and you know, we were chatting and I asked him I said to him tell me are you uh, uh, if you died tonight do you think you'd go to heaven or to hell I said you don't have to answer the question but uh, do, do you think where you would go he said oh I think I'd just rot in the ground why did he think that because he didn't know the facts he didn't know, certainly, what the Bible teaches about what will happen. Well, it's interesting. The, the flat earth made a resurgence. Do you know this? In the middle of the Victorian times? Again, a man who came from a, uh, an interesting background, um, a man called Sam Robotham, he published his book called Zetetic Astronomy. And he argued that the the world was a large circular plate and the equator was halfway out from the center. North Pole's in the center, equator halfway out, and the edge was a 100-foot wall of ice down in Antarctica, as he saw it. And he argued very strongly. Uh, he said, I believe the real source of modern astronomy to have been Satan. How do you help the guy like this? See, there isn't a conflict between good science and good understanding of the Bible. There can't be, because they both come from the same source. Well, let, let's move on to the next big conflict that was going to uh, really have great problems in the church. It's whether the earth is the center of the solar system or whether the sun is. You know the, uh, the uh, issues that this caused. Aristotle had taught, remember, 4th century BC, that the earth was the center of the uh, solar system. And the planets and the sun moved around us. And the, uh, the church took to this very strongly because it fitted in so well with their thinking. Uh, if there are seven planets going around the earth, that fits in very much with the divine number seven. And uh, people, uh, astronomy, uh, uh, sorry, Aristotle taught that these planets and other things up in space had to be obviously much lighter than uh, things on earth. In, otherwise, they'd drop down to earth. 
So he said they were made of a, a fifth substance. He called it the quintessence, which is where our, our word now comes from. But it was then a great conflict came when in the middle of the 16th century, 1543, Copernicus uh, said, look, this doesn't fit. The, the evidence isn't all there. I think the sun is the center of the solar system. Now, he was a monk, a Polish monk, uh, and he caused quite a debate. I, I picked up a, a book in David's uh, last week, uh, just reading through about the history of what was going on in Oxford University. And I was fascinated. See, in 1619, a lecturer was told he had to debate and teach the students about both Copernicus, that the sun is the center, and Ptolemy, that's the earth. And he had to debate this with the students. It's, it's very interesting, that, because Galileo's book didn't come out till 1632. Well, there's the, the conflict. But so strong was this teaching of Aristotle in the church that anyone who taught opposite was called a bit of a heretic. And if you said it rather rudely and you criticized the Pope, as Galileo did in his, his writings, uh, he, got a, he got condemned. He was condemned to death for saying the evidence is that the sun is the center of the solar system. Uh, <laughs> and the problem is that some of the Christians at the time agreed with the, the church. You know, Martin Luther. I have a, so much time for Martin Luther, but he was deeply against Copernicus's view. He said this, the overwitty notion of a fool who wished to turn topsy-turvy the whole art of astronomy. Now, you see the problem, because I expect you felt it as I did, that actually to criticize the great man Martin Luther... Yeah, we, we feel a bit uh, aghast, and it, it's not written about anywhere. Do you know, even um, John Calvin, it, he uh, tried to rubbish these new ideas. And he, he quoted Psalm 93, verse 1. Uh, the earth is firmly established. It cannot be moved. And he went on to say, who will venture to place the doctrine of Copernicus above that of Scripture. Now, who, who am I to uh, criticize the great John Calvin? But we now know, actually, on this, he was wrong. Why? Because he didn't know all the facts. And he somehow thought that the Bible was an authority on science and on the world that God's put us in. Well, he, <laughs> you can see the, the, the tensions there were. And when Galileo came along and uh, made a telescope, they described as the gun that shot down many old ideas. What did he see in the telescope? Well, he looked at the moon, and he saw it doesn't look like an ethereal substance. It looks solid with rocks and craters. 
uh, where asteroids have hit it. It it looks solid. It's not a, a light substance. And then he looked at Jupiter, and he saw there were four planets going around Jupiter. And the church says, no, no, there can't be. But because we, we know the solar system is a divine system. It must have seven planets. Now you're making out of 11. And you can just see the tension. And there's a, a Cardinal Bellamine. He, he refused to look through the telescope. He says, oh, you probably painted them onto the end of the lens. It, the real tension. Because they didn't know enough. They, they jumped to their conclusion. Uh, so he, he saw the solar flares. The sun is not a perfect light in the skies. It has dark spots, if you look at it, and flares and things. No, 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 this is a, a giant fire. He even noticed that Venus had phases as it moved around, rather like our moon. Now, the only way you can get that is if it really is moving around. Well, you can just see now the, the tension. And because Galileo was perhaps not very wise in the way he wrote things, he got the full wrath of the church. Uh, Father Kakini, uh, he vehemently opposed these unchristian views. The earth is firmly established. It cannot be moved. And that comes four times in scripture. <laughs> it is there. We, we don't have any right because Jesus has told us these are the words of God. But they're about him. They're about how we should live. They're not sort of prophecies about modern science and computers. <laughs> Why does Galileo contradict the word of God and suggests that the earth does move. If the scriptures say it doesn't move, now, what are the scriptures talking about? They're saying God's love for us is as solid as the earth under our feet. God's love doesn't move. It's not talking astronomically. And we all know that now, don't we? But can you see how this was a real tension in those days? Uh, they used to quote Bible verses at each other. A Dewey version talks about uh, the, uh, how the earth is, uh, is on hinges. And so Galileo said, that if it's a hinge, it must move because hinges move. You know, that's sort of rather trite argument. It's really to misunderstand that God is telling us what he's done in the world, what he's going to do by sending his Messiah, what is right and wrong, how he wants his people to live. Well, Galileo, 1616, he was summoned before the uh, Inquisition, the Roman Inquisition. Cardinal Bellamine, his archenemy, um, told his views were heretical and the penalty to be burnt at the stake. Oh, he, he apologized, <laughs> Galileo did, but he, he just couldn't keep quiet. The, the evidence was so strong. And in the end, the uh, congregation of the index of the Roman church made this announcement. No one may teach that the sun is the center of the solar system, 
because this expressly contradicts the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in many passages. Where have they got it wrong? Because they didn't know all the facts. Well, 1633, uh, Galileo was again condemned. His writings were banned. And it's interesting, his writings were condemned by the Roman Catholic Church for the next 200 years, even after all the evidence came out. The problem was the Inquisition regarded their interpretation of Scripture as being the ultimate authority. Uh, they lacked the knowledge that science would give to them as to how Christians should read Scripture. Now, we, we all know Galileo was right. Uh, he, he made a very important distinction. Uh, there's a, a friend of his, Cardinal Baronius, who very astutely said, the intention of the Holy Ghost is to teach us how one goes to heaven, not how heaven goes. Got it? Must be right. Scripture has a very specific purpose. It is not there to teach you how to build a computer. Now today, the present problem is the age of the earth. Uh, and it's the same problem, because people haven't investigated all, all the evidence. There's a, a, a patient of mine was explaining why he'd uh, given up on church. He uh, was interested, he'd gone to a small Bible study group, and they were looking at the beginning of Genesis. And they took a very literal view of the seven days, and that the world was created 4004 B.C., um, and he started saying, well, I don't get that. And the uh, man was told that his views uh, were wrong, uh, that theirs was the only one compatible with Scripture. And when he queried this, they became angry. And the result, he, he never went back. In 1650, Archbishop Usher calculated the world created by God on October the 3rd, 4004 BC. He did that from the genealogies. Um, the, uh, this was included in the authorized version of the Bible until about 100 years ago. In the notes at the side, that it, it said this was when the world was created. Uh, the, uh, very early on, the Church of England accepted Bishop Usher's ideas. Uh, these dates practically acquired the authority of the word of God. And people found it very hard, just as the Roman church did, to look at the evidence. Do you know about the basis of, you know, are you a fundamentalist? It must have been asked this question. Are you a fundamentalist? There, there are two meanings of the word. You see, in uh, between 1909 and 1915, there was a series of 12 articles written in the States by very well-respected senior Bible teachers. 
And they talked about the fundamentals of the faith. They included the fact that God created the world, that man was in a state of rebellion against God, that the Messiah was born of a Virgin Mary, uh, that he died and he rose again from the dead and the disciples were convinced. Very basic fundamentals that every Christian, I think, would accept. But then came along in 1919, there was a conference uh, in Philadelphia in which the World's Christian Fundamentals Association was formed. And this had a, a different view of the fundamentals and uh, included Usher's views. And today, um, many Southern Baptist churches in the States still hold very strongly to this. Uh, now, you can imagine what happens. The atheists come along and they have a field day. Because if they can destroy Usher's view, they think, I've destroyed Christianity. I've destroyed the Bible. Actually, <laughs> Usher's dates are no longer accepted anyway. Because we know that the genealogies in the Old Testament, uh, nearly all of them are limited to ten. And they, they miss some out. And you do lots of studying in this. And the, uh, the descendants of Adam uh, perhaps go back to 8,000 years. But we've still got a problem uh, how that fits in with the earliest uh, Homo sapiens fossils, 150,000 years. I think that's a, another big question that my, my book goes into. But the... You can just see how the, the parties become polarized. The, uh, some atheistic science, science people saying, no, the scripture's rubbish. Science has disproved it. And this is what we're getting in the schools now. People think that science has, been, has disproved scripture. Now, we, we haven't got time to go into all the detail. You know the uh, science is very convincing and keeps repeating that the age of the universe is 13.75 billion years. You know, there's lots of reasons for arguing this. The solar system, we're, we're younger, we're about 4.54 billion years old with the sun and our planets going around it. I wish we did have time to look at the, the evidence for this. There uh, our planet is extraordinary. Do you all know this? Do you know the anthropic principle? That we're living in a planet that statistically can't exist. There are so many constants in our universe and in our planet that it does, counting all the number of planets there should be in the universe, it's impossible. How is it that we've got a planet that's got a, an iron core, that's got all the minerals that are needed for life, that we've got a planet on an orbit that's going around the sun just at the right distance, and that our orbit is, is not an ellipse like nearly all other orbits, but it's almost circular so that we don't cook and get too cold. Uh, we've got the right amount of oxygen. Do you thank God that you've got 21% oxygen in this air? 
If you, if you had sort of 40%, what would happen? Every time anyone lit a cigarette or had a bonfire, massive explosion. You know, go up. Oh, thank God for uh, 21%. How often have you thanked God for Jupiter? You, you couldn't exist if Jupiter, this massive planet, wasn't there. That takes all the asteroids that used to come into Earth and, and the moon that you can see. Uh, now they, they go to Jupiter. Thank God for Jupiter. Uh, we could go on. Thank God for that ozone layer. It protects us from the sun's irradiation. Uh, there's so much more we could talk about this. The 150 constants of the universe. If there was a Big Bang, right at the beginning of time, in Planck time, 10 to the minus 43rd of a second, it had to be that the constants, the power of gravity, the, the power of the weak electric force and the strong electric force had to be set right back there. You know, the, the mass of the proton had to be... What's the mass of the proton compared to the electron? 1,836. Had to be that. If it's not that, matter can't exist. <laughs> Why are people in our schools not being asked, well, who set these constants? How did this happen? Because it can't be by chance. And we, human beings, there is no way that we can develop out of primordial soup. How did they get bacteria within a half a billion years of the earth being habitable? We know there were bacteria with all their fine biochemistry and everything complicated with them. How did they come so quickly? There's no way it can be by chance. Anyway... I, I said I wouldn't talk too much about that, so we'll move on. Grand Canyon. This is a, a slice through time. It's, it's a wonderful, if you've been there. But, and there's a great book that's recently come out that talks about the 28 strata that are there. And these strata cannot all be laid down in one great flood. It's totally impossible. You've got layers of volcanic rock in between. You've got seashells uh, there. These, these are clearly labelled the fossils of dinosaurs. Actually, the fossils of the dinosaurs are only in the upper strata. Nearer the bottom, uh, you've got the, uh, in the Cambrian rocks, you've got the very primitive fossils. And, and it goes up. The, uh, the next picture, I think, does show the... Uh, these bit. You, you can see the uh, Cambrian era, that's when the first fossils sort of appeared. And they've got them back there. Dinosaurs right up the top. This is, is very old. Um, and you can do studies, uh, radioisotope studies of the uh, volc uh, volcanic rock and show that the deeper ones are, are older. And they've, they've got beautiful studies that are done there. The dinosaurs died out. When did dinosaurs die out? 65 million years ago. How about tree rings? Do these help you? Very interesting. It's Leonardo da Vinci who discovered this. He noticed that tree rings occur every year, 
but there's a pattern to them. And if you have a cold winter, uh, you get, or successive winters, you get the rings closer together. And so you get a signature that you can date these trees. And they've done this in, uh, in the States. You've got the uh, bristlecone pine trees. And they've got fossilized trees that they can see these patterns going back. And they can go back to um, over 8,600 years just with uh, these fossilized rings. And you can take a little ring so you can say that is the date and do carbon dating on it. And they, now that they've got the, uh, the balance right for how much C14 there was in the air, you can... It's right. There's a straight-line graph. Um, the ice cores. It, these are, are very interesting because you can now go down and take out an ice core from the, uh, usually it's Greenland. They've, they've done it in various places. Uh, in Iceland, the one came back that went back to 12,500 years. And then there's a massive one which you've got here in 2004, uh, they took out three kilometers of ice. And there are certain dates that you can balance it with. When Mount Vesuvius erupted, there's a certain signature of the chemicals that were given off. And so you, you get a ring, uh, and you can analyze those chemicals, and you can get the right date. This, this massive thing, they reckon, goes back to 740,000 years. Uh, in incidentally, there's no evidence of a world flood up there in these ice cores. The, the dating of rocks. When I was at school, there used to be a lot of querying about the validity of isotopes. The studies now are extraordinarily good. Um, the... Uh, Mount Vesuvius that was erupted in 79 AD. You can analyze the rocks. Yeah, you, you get it right. Uh, in my book, I got some rocks from Greenland, and they dated them in 12 different laboratories for different studies, all very accurately. The, the Atlantic itself is fascinating because now we, we know that the, uh, the Earth used to have just one big, uh, big mass. You know this? Uh, and, the, and then the tectonic plates split us up. And so now India, that used to be down off Africa, has gone up and pushed up into the Himalayas, and that's why you get seashells near, near the top of the Himalayas. Uh, they were pushed up. The... Um, but what's interesting about this, you can see how, just imagine, the two things you know, coming, coming together. Uh, the, uh, the rocks on either side of, the, uh, of Africa and South America uh, are dated as a, at about 180 million years. And that's what Pangaea, when it started to break up, the Pangaea is the big solitary um, blob of, of mass they reckon it started breaking up about 180 million years ago don't forget dinosaurs died out 65 million years roughly 
Now, the distance across there is about three and a half thousand uh, miles. So if you're quick on maths, that means they're spreading at 1.2 inches uh, each year. And, and now they've, they've got satellite studies, and that's true. They are separating at about 1.2 inches a year. And when you uh, analyze the rocks down at the bottom of the, uh, of the ocean, they are much more recent because you can see the volcanic ridge in the middle that's pushing out volcanic rock under the sea and pushing everything aside. And they've got beautiful studies of the ages of these rocks. Now, it's very clear. The Bible is not intended to teach us about these things. What we've got to stand up and say to our students and people in school, look, your faith in atheism is shallow. It's not based on evidence. We've got to help each other to think clearly, just like the medieval church in Galileo's time had to think clearly. We've got to convince our young people that the God who created this world is just as alive today as he ever has been. And although he's silent, the Bible talks about him being silent. But they know he's speaking to them. Now, what I'd like you to discuss, would you turn up 2 Timothy 3.16 and say, what is scripture for and just see how often the word computer is mentioned or nuclear energy 2 Timothy anyone got the page number someone shout it out 1196 towards the end of the bible what is scripture meant for Can you see it? It's, it's not the source of all knowledge. It teaches us about righteousness. It teaches us about the God who's created us. How we can be saved and put right with God. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How we can live as God wants us to. This is what scripture is about. And then you notice Paul goes on. Look at the beginning of chapter 4. I give you this charge. Preach the word in season, out of season. Because time will come when people take no interest in these things. And they'll get preachers who say what their own ears want to hear. We've got to say God has spoken to us authoritatively through Scripture. But we've got to be clear what we mean by that. Uh, we haven't got time to go in. What did Jesus say? Scripture cannot be broken. Uh, the Scriptures are they that talk about me, Jesus says. And in Hebrews it talks about the the word of God is living and active. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what scripture's for. 
to tell us how to be saved. And those who reject the authority of Scripture are on a road to nihilism. They have nothing. They have no word from God. The words of Scripture are sacred. Only freedom is how we should understand these words. We must get more knowledge, both from nature and from understanding the original meaning of the words. And let me just give an example. When was the Tower of Babel? <laughs> Anyone give a rough date? Ignorance. Bland. If, if you look, look it up uh, there in, in Genesis, you'll see that uh, it says the Tower of Babel was built of burnt bricks and the mortar was bitumen. Now, archaeology is pretty strong on dating when burnt bricks were first introduced and when bitumen was first introduced. There's no record before 3,500 BC. Now, that gives a strong clue that this Tower of Babel was much more recent than I used to think. Well, we, we could go on, but science does help us to understand Scripture. Um, if, if any people are unsure about Jesus, what can they... Uh, is it wrong to be a Thomas? You know this, this picture by Caravaggio? Uh, yeah, the disciples are far too old in his picture. He didn't, he didn't know enough you know, about this. But for them to investigate and say, look, truth comes from God. We've got to get more knowledge to understand God's truth, but particularly to understand what is Scripture saying to us. I became a Christian in my first year at college. Uh, I was very unimpressed by religion at school and decided not to be confirmed like the rest of my mob. But I was drawn to Christ partly by the, the way that the Christians lived very different lives, but also the way that they, they were able to explain what the Christian message is about. And I'm so grateful for them. I, I was slow making a decision for Christ because I really didn't want to be conned. But I realized that it was Jesus Christ who matters, who he is, what he's come to do, and not religion. So, definitely, science and faith are very much allies because they both come from the same source. They're both created by God. Scripture comes from God, Jesus comes from God, and our world comes from God. Wow, I hope that's got some of you thinking. Any questions? Good. Now, if you have got some more, come and... Um, and sort of uh, question it. But we do need desperately to come up with good answers to help the next generation of students in 
sixth forms university to think clearly that this indeed is God's word to us. It's not contradictory to science. It was written in the thinking of that time, but the word of God is timeless. Chris? Thank you very much, Bernard. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith, we'll be running an Exploring Christianity group after Christmas. Uh, it's a six-week course. There's a meal. It's a relaxed atmosphere. It's good fun. And uh, you can look into the basics of the Christian faith for yourself. If you're at all interested in that, have a word with one of us. Alternatively, we're back here next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, and we'd love to see you then in, in, here in this hall. Thank you very much, everyone.